Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Hmm. That's a good line to underline. And he was the son of an harlot. Hmm. And Gilead was his dad. Gilead's wife bare him sons. So just know it, right? There's two women involved here. And his wife's sons grew up and they thrust out Jephthah. They said to him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time oh, that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. Here's our last verse. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we might fight with the children of Ammon. I preached today for a moment. Come and be our captain. Amen. I'd like you to put your Bibles down behind you. I'd like you to grab the elbow or the shoulder or the hand of whatever's comfortable, somebody next to you. And I want you to pray that the Lord will make himself known and we will recognize him. Come on, just right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, do your perfect work today, I pray, in Jesus' name, and make yourself known. And help your people to recognize you. Uh, help us to recognize you today. In Jesus' name. You are the Lord God Almighty. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. All praise and glory. The angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. You are the great God. Yes. Amen, amen, amen. Now with your hands and your voices and your hearts, come on out. To him who sits on the throne. Thank you, and you may be seated. As I speak today, there'll be moments that I'll teach. There'll be a nugget. I hope you can grasp them. It's somewhat tawdry to consider the choice of Gilead, his decisions. He was a man of means. There was some wealth about him. He had land and flocks and 
wealth, and he was married. But Gilead was led astray of his own lust, as all men can be and all women can be. The Bible says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. And Gilead was obviously led away. He had an affair with a known prostitute who occupied his area, perhaps his village. The Bible is such a book that it makes an open display of even the most unsavory of things. On a side note, I lament that so few teachers, it seems, deliver the entirety of the word of God. It seems that today people want to hear about liberties in the spirit, but they are short on self-imposed limitations of the flesh. We want to know how many things we can do. We're not really interested in what we should not do. We declare the absence of our sin, but then put upon us weight that does beset us. Paul said that he was constrained by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which of course does not sell very well in our day. Constraint. Nevertheless, I preach the word. There's no need to mask the dealings of the patriarchs or to pretend that the most powerful and gifted biblical characters did not struggle in life. They did. From Abraham to Peter, they all found their failings and most of them rose back up to fulfill the divine purpose and will of the Father. Gilead is no exception. He's heady and high-minded. He bypasses the clear signs of danger and throws caution to the wind. He has an illicit affair that stains his name and splinters his family. It might have been covered up, but the prostitute became pregnant. I wonder how many people haven't been found out. The scripture says, and I quote, She bore him a son. Uh, Gilead was the father of many sons. He went back home and had sons by his wife. And eventually his house was filled with children. But the son of the prostitute did not fit in very well. They never do. His name was Jephthah. All of them were warriors. All the sons could fight. They all had gifts. But one of them was a half-brother. All of them knew something about the battle. But one of them, the half-brother, Jephthah. None of them were as skilled and talented as Jephthah. He was what the Bible calls, and I read it to you, a mighty man of valor. And more specifically, a man of great ability. And there are not many of them. He was distinct among men. He was exceptional among his brothers and among the city and among all the people. And yes, they all knew it. They understood it. And it appears that because... Jephthah was so much better, his brothers used his birth as a tool to satisfy their own jealousy. I think we would be surprised 
And how many things are done and said out of plain old jealousy? Issues are covered up. The root of jealousy is covered up. No one wants to admit that in reality, they're just jealous. So complex complaints sound so much more credible than just saying, I just don't like them because of what they've got. So we create all these other things to really cover up jealousy. Are you with me now? Don't worry, I'm getting to it. I know where, I know where God has led me. Those brothers look very much like the siblings of Joseph. Jephthah had nothing to do with how he came into this world. He was the innocent party. He was raised as a son by his father. But his skilled could, skill could not be tolerated. His brothers used his origin to cast him out. Half-brother or not, Jephthah was removed. His brothers, the sons of Gilead, would not reconcile his beginning. They saw his ability and instead of praising his strength, they questioned his beginning. They were witnesses to his craft, his military genius and innate leadership. But instead of taking comfort that he was one of them, they turned on him and questioned his integrity by the virtue of his birth. And in the scripture, it appears that when their father died, the brothers, all now fully grown, despised Jephthah and told him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house. They could not handle it. They couldn't handle his strength and authority. And he left because he had no honor among his own family. Here's the next line. And it came to pass in the process of time. Oh, the process of time. I thank God for it. Oh, yeah. I can stand here to tell you that in the process of time, things that are hidden come to light. Situations that seem to be impossible become impossible in the process of time. Things that look so daunting to you and troubling fade like a morning mist in the process of time. And people who once looked like brothers are found out to be something else. The process of time reveals the inward man. It speaks of stability and strength and even truth about anointing. Because in that space, there are battles that must be fought and there are victories that will be attained and there are losses that will be given <laughs> Attitudes and the human spirit is uncovered in the process of time. Quite often, God proves himself and his people through the process of time. The established become known in the process of time. The faithful and the unfaithful are found out in the process of time. Who you really are becomes evident in the process of time. Right and wrong finally rises to the surface. Truth becomes Settled and a lie is exposed. Given enough time. Perhaps nothing is known in a single day. Given the opportunity to be wounded and to be hurt, we all get to display what our character shall be. You have to be given the opportunity to struggle before you can even say that you are committed. You have to be given the opportunity to be offended before you can even broach the subject of being like Jesus Christ. Is the servant greater than his master? Uh, 
The process of time becomes as great as any biblical revelation or spiritual insight given to man. And I know that if I stay in the process, there is a possibility that I'm going to get better, not bitter. The process is going to revise my thoughts and reorganize my ambitions. Don't get weary in the process of time. God is going to do something for you. If you'll just stick with it and stay with it and be ready and be right. Hear me. It squeezes out vanity. It replaces vanity with the kingdom. There is a marination of the heart. So if someone told you that a single sermon or a single lesson or a message or a worship experience would construct your entire life or reconstruct everything about you, they must have missed the truth about the process of time. And I return to that little thought that if you grow up overnight, you are probably... A mushroom. <laughs> Emphasis on mush. Uh-huh. And if you grow up and know it all in a month, you are probably a pumpkin. Emphasis on punk. But if you want to be solid and secure and rooted, if you want to be that, if you want to be an oak tree, it's going to take you 30 years. If you want to be what Paul declared, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, it's going to take the process of time. Do not get weary in well-doing for in due season. You shall reap if you faint not. You got to hold on to something that's true. Don't let time be your enemy. Let it be your friend. Yay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sons of Gilead, we're about to, they're going to be proven wrong about their brother. And Jephthah's leadership was going to be appreciated now and desired. When Jephthah left his father's house, he was a leader. He was still a leader. Because either you're a leader or you're not a leader. He found himself in the land of Tob where many men were drawn to him. The nobodies followed him. The unlikelies gathered around him. The King James Bible calls them vain men. The vain men joined themselves to him. But the word vain is not what you think it is in our vernacular. That word comes from the Hebrew word rakah, a rock. It means empty or without worth or emptied out. Men with nothing to lose. Perhaps poor, without purpose. Men without direction or any leadership. People of no status, they followed Jephthah. The moment he got there, he rose up. They were all seeking for a leader. And as such, he led a small army, a band of men who were empty without him. Watch this. Jephthah's brothers are self-righteous. They wanted control and they kicked him out of their father's house. They told him, you have no inheritance here. They offer him no respect and no honor. He's forced out. He's among his own, but his own does not want him. They will not receive him. Little did they know that when they removed Jephthah, they removed their authority. They cut off their source of power. And in the process of time, the enemy has come to make war. As it is written, the children of Ammon made war against Israel. War is pressing against them. The Ammonite presence is more than a threat. They are fierce and ruthless. And the sons of Gilead know it. The bloodshed is in their collective future. They know it. The sons of Gilead are aware. The people know it. And most of all, the elders. Thank God for the elders of Gilead. The elders see the end of this thing. And they are, they are convinced. So they convene to discuss the only option they have left. 
They know and they admit that they are helpless without Jephthah. They are no good without him. They need him. They know that Jephthah is a born leader and that he has authority and skill that rises above all of them. They are scattered people without him. The Bible leaves us no room for doubt. Jephthah will win the battle and the people of Gilead are also certain of it even before they ask him. I hope you can see it the way the Bible is revealing it to us. They did not need him when they were at peace. They did not seek him when the waters were placid and the skies were blue. They did not call on him when all the bills were paid and all the people were doing well. They did not ask him of anything when they were getting advancements in their careers, jobs, the cars look good, everybody's all right. They didn't, they didn't wonder about him when there was no trouble. They didn't, they didn't inquire of him because they liked their things. They wanted to keep everything that they had. They removed him because they did not like the idea of his distinction. And they used his origin against him. He was not one of their supposed pure bloodlines. And even though Jephthah was powerful, they chose to live without him. Especially in times of plenty. When things are good. But in the process of time, they're going to need him. The enemy has gathered to devour them and they see it and it provokes fear in their heart. The Ammonites are clanging their swords and weapons of war. They are beating their drums of war. The rapport of bloodthirsty men is pressing on the minds of the sons of Gilead, of the elders and all the people. They're considering their children. It overwhelms them. So finally, they offer him what they are comfortable with. They say, come and be our captain. It is an offer for him to do what he is capable of doing. It is an invitation for him to do what only he can do. Jephthah can do things that other men just cannot do. He can achieve heights only dreamed about. He can lead people when no one can lead people. He can bring order and unity to a chaotic society. He is skilled in orchestration and strategy. And the end result of his doing will be a force unmatched against the enemy. So come and be our captain. They offered it to him because he could save them and be their savior. Jephthah was the answer to their current crisis. I'm compelled to tell someone in this house... Jesus can do things that no one else can do. Uh, his limitation has never been found. No one has ever found the borders of God. No one has ever reached the boundaries of God. His authority over every sickness and disease is infinite. There's neither, not another mutation of disease or viruses that he has not already paid for. There is no savior like Jesus. He is the king of kings. He is the healer. Oh yes he is. He is the I am that I am. He is the ever present help in trouble. He is the lifter and the mender of every broken spirit and wounded heart. Jesus is the answer to every question ever posed by the cumulative thought of mankind. He is the all in all. He is the way maker when there seems to be no way. He 
He doesn't need a door to put you in the room. He doesn't need an open gate to usher you into the city because he is everything. He is the Savior. No one can do what Jesus can do. I feel like telling somebody here, I've got to tell someone in particular, I wish I could call out your name, but I know someone needs to know this very line. When the report and the facts are stacked against you, Jesus is the definitive rebuttal of what opposes your life. He is the defender of the helpless, and he is the blessing to the whole earth. Hey! And when the people are desperate, he will comfort them. And when we are empty, he will fill us. He called the dead back to life and supplied the need of wine into of water into wine. Because Jesus has no equal. He is the unequal, unrivaled, unparalleled champion of love. He is the savior of the whole world and he can do what no one can do. You ought to say it right now. Come and be our captain. And to all of that, there are a thousand more descriptions of him. Ah, There's nothing wrong with you and I calling on him. Because Jesus is the name which is above every other name. And when you speak the name of Jesus, you speak the entire authority of the Most High God. Every provision that's ever been planted, every blessing that's ever been given, when you speak his name, you speak and invoke everything that comes behind that name. That name is the name which is above everything. All principalities and powers must bow down to that name. Come and be our captain. Oh, yes. You got used to some things broken. You've adjusted. You've negotiated with things that have broken your life. He wants to fix those things too. You're living dysfunctional. He's ready to heal that. You don't have to walk out and be dysfunctional. (laughs) I know you've been wounded I know you've been messed up maybe even from childhood I want to tell you about Jesus he can do what no medication no group therapy no psychologist can do he knows more about you than you'll ever know about you And he loves you more than anyone else loves you. And his provisions span greater than food or money. Or a healing for the body. He can heal the things that are most important. The healing of the heart and the emotions. And I want to stand here and say, your captain can take the dysfunctional hurt and wound and abuse and the things that have been in your past that have made you grow crooked and he can make it grow straight because he is in that business. He is your savior. Come and be my captain. When you are surrounded by a thousand and you don't know where to go, it's okay to rise up and say, I gotta have a savior. 
Ah, we ought to clap our hands right now unto the Lord. If you've been praying for it for a while, don't be embarrassed. Go down and pray again. If you've been seeking for an answer, don't be embarrassed. Don't get weary with that. Uh, and the sons of Gilead, and the elders and the people are looking out beyond the ridge and they see this smoke rising a thousand campfires off in the distance where the well-trained men of war gather. They know it's only a matter of time and the elders who always seem to have the wisdom Bypass the jealousy of the younger. And they convene and say, we got to have help. But as they're gathering, they have to come to grips that they need him. They admitted that Jephthah was the man for the job. And they said to him, we're in need, come and be our captain. But Jephthah wanted something more than that. Yes, he would help them. He was not so vindictive to ignore their needs. But Jephthah was looking for something greater than just being their captain. Read it in your Bible, you see. They were into self-preservation. But Jephthah was looking beyond the battle to where he would be placed. He was seeking a location after the victory had been accomplished. And Jephthah said, You hated me when I lived among you. You expelled me from your father's house. You told me I'd have nothing there. You gave me no honor, no respect. You knew who I was and you cast me out. And so to tell me, Jephthah says, if you bring me home and I lead you and God delivers the enemy into my hand. And here it is, Jephthah says, shall I be your head? Oh, Jesus said it this way. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto eternity everlasting life. I know this is a hard one, so let me unpack this for you. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, how'd you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miracles or miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus said, 
I can feed you bread and fish. I can be your captain and heal your diseases. But there is something greater than just what I can do. The greater is who I am. His lordship is different from his salvation. We want Jesus to be our savior. We cry out for his mighty hand. But we are not always interested in seeking his face. We want him to be our savior. But we're not willing for him to be our head. The difference between the ten lepers. The nine and the one. Is that one came back to worship the Lord. And worship was a confession. That Jesus was more than a healer. It was an admittance. That Jesus was the head. In Simon's house. They're all gathering. They're all eating food. And they want to hear the words of Jesus. They want to hear about his wonder. They were entranced, entertained by his wisdom. But no one washed his feet. They forgot about their own custom because they were, they were engrossed in his ability, the Savior. And then through the room, a woman comes. She has baggage. She has deficits. She has a reputation of a woman of ill repute. She put them all to shame. In a moment, she broke an alabaster box of priceless ointment and made him Lord. Yes, he can save you to the uttermost. But when he brings you out, will you also allow him to be your head? It could be concluded that Thomas did not see Jesus as Lord until after the resurrection. Thomas and perhaps others of the disciples saw Jesus as their captain, their keeper, their caretaker. They saw the man walking on water. They saw his power insomuch that even at one moment on a boat, they said, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. But when Thomas saw the gaping holes in his hands and in his feet, when he thrust his hand into the side of the resurrected Jesus, Thomas fell down to his knees and he cried out, My Lord and my God. No longer was he the one who could just feed 5,000. No longer was he the man that could walk on water. No longer was he a man that touched the lepers. No longer was he a man that could do incredible things like call Lazarus out of the tomb and and say to a little girl, Talitha Kumai, now there's a recognition. He's not just the captain. He is the Lord. He's not just the Savior. He is God. I say today that we want him to be our captain and a thousand congregations over are desperate for the Lord to do something for for them and yes, he can do it but he wants to be our head. He wants to be our refuge but he also wants to be our Lord. And I wonder, are we just here to get from him what we can get from him or is he going to be the head of the church? What is his truth about? What are his principles about? What is his righteousness about? I'm not here just to get my needs taken care of. I'm here to make him Lord. Lord of all he is the king of kings and the lord of lords it's not just enough to seek his help he really wants us to seek his holiness Yes, his hand is mighty. His power is without limit. He is the healer and the delivery deliverer, but where did his teaching go? There are entire circles of believers who are so anxious to stand to receive from God, but they fail to kneel in reverence to him. 
There are entire groups of people that think that if things are not going well, that Jesus has abandoned them. When in reality, they cannot see the lessons and the directions of his lordship. He's trying to teach them something and lead them something. He does lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. But that brings us no comfort when we're in the middle of the valley. That's because we wanted him to remove the valley. We want him to wipe all the problems out. We want him to be our savior. But he wants to be our lord. Shall I be your head? Will your life revolve around me? Will all your ambitions be after my majesty? Or is Isaiah right? Are the words of Isaiah correct? When Isaiah wrote, you follow me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. I say that for a few, maybe, I hope not. But maybe this house is not a place to serve, but it's a, play, a place to gain. And you think that if you're not gaining, then you feel lost. If you're not associated, you don't have a lot of friends, things are bad. Not everyone, but maybe a few. Not the majority, but maybe a handful. If you're not validated or affirmed, hear me now. If you're not given something, you feel dejected and alone. I'm wondering when you will finally come to say, I've come to serve and not be served. I've come to confirm without any return of the same. I've come to commit to the mission, not to be entertained by it. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people that come to church when there's a miracle and a healing. And there's the same number that leave when there's affliction, suffering, and, and loss. But he's still the Lord and he's still the captain. But we don't always want the Lord. We want the captain. We don't all, we want the provision. Ah. And Jeff just standing there and say, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to take you out. You're, you're, this is a motley crew. I'm going to pull you together. You didn't give me any honor, but I'm going to tell you what. I'm still going to do something good for you because I love you. Because I'm associated with my father. You don't understand. I am my father's son. I'm still going to love you because you're my brothers. Now, you didn't understand how I got into this world. It may not have been the way that you wanted me to come. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to be vindictive. I'm not going to be hateful to you. As Sister Mary Fell says last week, come to church, don't be hateful. <laughs> Whew. I'm preaching that. <laughs> uh-huh. He said, I'm going to still love you. I'm still going to help you. Yes, I can be your captain. That's nothing. I am the leader wherever I go. If I step into a group of vain men that are empty, immediately I'm their leader. If I step into Gentiles, immediately I'm their leader. If I step into the Jewish community, I am their leader. Wherever I go, I'm leading them. But I don't want to just be your captain. I want to know, shall I be your head? Shall I be your Lord? Shall I be your Savior? <laughs> Jesus said, I have the power to heal. But the greater power, uh-oh. Mm -hmm. See, it's got to be more than come and be our captain because his lordship is tied to his kingdom. That's why he forgave that man in Luke chapter 5. They lowered that man down, brought him. A lame man on his cot, on his bed. Jesus looked at the man, saw the faith of the friends. 
And the first thing he did was was to display his lordship. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Ah, No one can forgive sins but God. That's right. The first thing he did was not display his power over the sickness. The first thing he did was establish his headship. And the only reason why he went further as their captain was to establish his headship. And he said, just so you know, I have power to forgive sins. Rise up, take up thy bed, which means for all of you and for my kids, make your bed. It's in the Bible. Don't walk out of your room until you make your bed. Please send this over to the youth group. (laughs) Sorry, I just got off track there, but that's such a good vein. The reason why I have, I'm doing this is because I want to show you I have the power. I'm trying to establish that I'm the head of all things. Yes. I got the power of heal, but there's something greater than the power to heal. But I don't know if we're living in a generation that believes that. Because we dance and rejoice over a sickness that's healed. But we pause over someone who's forgiven. There are no scriptures in the Bible. I've read the whole thing many times and I'm going to go back through it again. No scriptures of the Bible that heaven stands at attention when your backache leaves, when the tumors are gone, when you get your eyesight back, when your gait is fixed and your hip feels better. Uh-huh. There are no, no scriptures where heaven stands at attention when you are healed of a physical disease. But the Bible says that the angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. I'm going to tell you about parties in heaven because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party and the party ain't happening when you get healed of your headache and your disease but there's a party going on in heaven now we may not be rejoicing but there's a party going in heaven every time someone repents and I'm going to tell you why because the Lordship is established in heaven yes he's our captain but that's the establishment that he is the head Healers heal. Saviors save. But only God can forgive sins. Now the Lord's not angry with us. All of us who ask for him to be our captain, he's not angry with us. Because he is full of mercy and love. And if you need a healing for your body, he can heal your body right now today. If you need a help for your finances, for your marriage, for your suffering, for emotional duress. He can do all of that. But I'm wondering in this house, help me brother Zach, I'm wondering in this house if someone could just say, he's going to be my Lord. Let's just, let's do the first part first. Because I, I don't want to get it out of the way, but I, I want to say, because the Lord is gracious, he, he is ready to answer your physical needs in your body and your family. <laughs> he, 
He's so good. He's so good. He made provisions. I hope you can see it. He made provisions. John the Baptist declared it. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to die as a ransom and atonement. What the blood of rams and goats could not do. The Bible says this. Paul said, you were not redeemed with the, with the blood of rams and goats or tradition received by your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He came to die for the sins of the world. But in and during his death, he made provisions to be your captain. He didn't have to do that. All he had to do was take away my sin. But the Bible says, with his stripes, we are healed. See, during his death, he took upon himself our infirmities, our afflictions, and our wounds. It tells me that the Lord, he's not an unmerciful God. And if you're sitting in this building and you need a healing of anything in your life, whether it's physical or emotional, maybe an intangible, right now, you should take the opportunity just to say, Oh Lord, be my Savior. It's okay to say it, Lord, be my help. He's an ever-present help. Now's your time. Don't, don't, don't. Don't throw it away. Don't feel like you're doing something wrong. No, you're doing it right because he's made provision for you. I need an answer from you, Lord. I need help from you. Just where you're sitting or standing. You could stand. You can sit. Raise your hand if you need God to be the captain in some situation of your life. Come on, just say it out of your mouth. I love you. I need you to be that. For all those who are in financial duress, just speak it out to God. Be my captain, Lord. Everybody who just feels like I'm not, I have a lack of self-worth, I'm struggling. The healer is in this house today. The healer is in this house today. For everyone who is sick in their body, or your family member is sick, you just reach out to God and lift up your hand and say, Lord, come and be my captain. With your stripes, I'm healed. And you made provisions. You're my way maker and deliverer. Come on, I'm just giving you a few moments here now because we got we to gotta get to something that he wants. Yeah, 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 yes, 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 yes. Oh. Oh, heavenly Jesus, heavenly Father. That's right, that's right, that's it, that's right. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Yes, Lord. And now I'm calling on the whole congregation to stand with me now. I'm calling on the whole congregation to stand. And now we're going to we're going to move from the captain. But we're not going to move from the person. We're going to move to the headship. And today as a body, we're going to answer the question, shall I be your head? Now I'm asking for people to cry out to God, be the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Sit on the throne of my heart. Occupy authority in me, Lord. And I just won't seek for your help, but I'm going to seek for your holiness. I'm not going to just seek for your power power and provisions, but I'm going to put you in the place, the position. You are the Father of all. You are the Lord, my Lord and my God.